0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is believe. Good day, everyone. This is Tony Moskal with your high school sports podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with a show for everyone. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? Joining me this week is Derek Bedell, head football coach at Mayfair High School. And, and one of my favorite mascot nicknames, the the Mighty Monsoons. Uh, Derek, thank you for taking the time on a... You're probably not as busy as... Well, I don't know. None of us are real busy right now doing much of anything. But, but thanks for taking the time out of your evening to chat with
1: me. Hey, thanks for having me, Tony. I appreciate it. And, and a, a footnote on the mascot, because it is awesome, by the way. Um, we're the only one in the country. I think that there's a school that's going to open in... Um, in Arizona, a new school that has, or that's going to have it or something. But I think we're the only one with the monsoons in the country.
0: So and and the last time we had a monsoon in, in Southern California was when? I, never?
1: I have no idea. For us, it was, for us, it was uh, about seven, six months ago on a Friday night.
0: Yeah. Now, do you know how the school got the nickname?
1: I have no idea. Um, I It never really occurred to me until uh, this funny – about a week ago, my assistant, one of my assistant coaches says, hey, Derek, you know, the only, we're the only monsoons in the country. I said, there's got to be another one. I looked it up and there's not. So I haven't done any, I have no idea how they got that nickname.
0: That's, that's funny. Now, I do have to tell a story on how we met. Sure. I was getting ready for a football game, you know, doing my normal prep work one day during my golf class. And one of my golfers comes up to me and says, hey, coach, what are you doing? And I explained to him what I was doing. And I was getting my my spotting boards ready where I put all the names of the players and all that. And I told him, I said, yeah, I'm, I'm doing St. John Bosco this week. And you know, everybody's heard of St. John Bosco. And he said, oh, that's funny. My cousin plays there. And I said, well, who's, who's your cousin? I'll, I'll I'll look him up. He said his name is Derek Bedell. I said, OK. So I look him up the night of the game. I'm on the field before the game. I, I find Derek Bedell. And I go, hey, Derek, I'm Tony Moscow. I, you know, doing the game tonight. Nice to meet you. You're your cousin Nick and your cousin Brian, you know, go to the high school I teach at and play golf for me. And he's like, oh, that's really cool. They, I'll say hi and, you know, whatever. So, and I don't think Derek got in the game that night because it was an, another Bosco blowout. So the next week before every game, I go on Max Preps and I check the name of who's the coach I'm going to have to deal with. Maybe I know the guy, maybe I don't know the guy. <clears throat> and I see Mayfair High School. I I don't know where Mayfair is. I'd never heard of Mayfair High School. But I look at the name and I see Derek Bedell. And I text your nephew, Nick, and I said, hey, Nick, is your uncle a football coach? He's like, yeah. How do you know? And I told him, I said, well, I'm doing Mayfair and Warren next week on the Fox Fox prep zone game. Oh, yeah. So I think when I called you and I introduced myself, the first question I asked was, how come your nephews never work on their short game?
1: <laughs> and I didn't have an answer for that. And they- neither,
0: do I, neither, neither did they.
1: Yeah, well, they did. Yeah, I know. It was a, a shortcoming of my game too, Tony. Really even- the, the,
0: the whole game is the shortcoming of my game. <laughs> um, but now we're, we're on the, the, the topic of golf. You were a tournament golfer. You're, you're pretty good, correct?
1: I used to be. I haven't. I haven't played. This whole head coaching thing takes a lot of time. So uh, turns out, in case anybody uh, didn't know, um, so I haven't played much golf over the course of the last couple of years. But I played a lot of tournament golf when I was, um, you know, when I got out of college and, and uh, up until the point I became the head coach at Mayfair. So it was a lot of fun. I was also the assistant golf coach at the University of Laverne for the University of Laverne for about four years. So I got to be around some some pretty high level golf. so it's been kind of fun.
0: yeah, and and I, I want to talk to you about that, the mental part of golf and football and all that. And now, <clears throat> going back to that first time that we met and we're doing Mayfair Warren and I'm thinking well, Mayfair High School never heard of it. I walk out on the field and your kids came out and they were not wearing they were just wearing t-shirts and stuff. And I, I was talking to you, and I said, "Is it who, who's that?" And you said, "Oh, that's that's Malachi Lyles, and that's Chris Adamora." Man, you got some dudes down there.
1: Yeah, we we've been we've been blessed. I mean, that's the one thing about about Mayfair, the greater Lakewood Long Beach area, is that um, there's a lot of really good football players, and there are a lot of really good athletes. I mean, Saint John Bosco and, and Paulie and and. and according to Sarah and those schools around they've been they've been getting guys from from the Long Beach Lakewood area forever but um, just to be able to keep some of our kids home but yeah we've been we've been lucky we have we we do we have a few guys
0: and, and it was it was great to watch you guys because you could tell that that there is a you know you're doing a really good job down there you've been there six years you've lost two league games in those six years you've won the suburban league three years in a row when you, your college background, walk me through your, your coaching background. I know you also played baseball at Loyola Marymount. Am I correct in that?
1: I actually played baseball one season at St. Mary's College of California. Actually, it was just a fall. And then um, I transferred to Loyola Marymount where I, and just went to school and, and from there.
0: You were also a junior college coach and a Division two yeah. coach. How did you get into coaching football?
1: Um, interesting story, my brother, my brother, Brad, who is the offensive line coach and run game coordinator at Boise state. Um, he was a senior at Arcadia high school. And when I was gone for college for five years, you know, he and I didn't hang out very much and I didn't really know what he, who he was. So, and I really loved football. And so I walked up to the head coach at Arcadia high school and asked him if he needed a volunteer. Um, so I started by filming spring football practices. Um, and then he gave me a job as a sophomore running back coach. And the rest is kind of history. And how did you get to Mayfair? Um, a long and winding road is the as the people <laughs> said. Um, I got lucky in um a guy at, at Citrus College by the name of John Rome. He was a head coach. He took a a guy who a kid like me who had two years coaching experience, and um, not many people know this. I I never play. I never played football, so. He took me under his wing there and I started coaching at Citrus and and learned so much from him and moved on to the Division three level at the University of Laverne and then back to Glendale College with him. And uh, one day he and I had a disagreement in regards to a job placement on the campus. and I left and called Mike Machete. And that's how I got back into high school football is Mike hired me as the JV head coach and the wide receiver coach at, at La Mirada. And, uh, from there I ended up at Bellflower high school as the offensive coordinator for Derek Brown, who taught me a ton. We can talk about all I've learned later on if you wanted to, but, um, from there I, I, I got, I got hired as the head coach after a six week stint as the offensive coordinator at Wilson high school in Long Beach for Mark Ziegenhagen. So it's been a long and whiny road from junior college to division three, back to junior college to high school. So it's been an interesting journey.
0: What's the biggest, what was the biggest adjustment that you needed to make going from being an assistant coach or coaching at a lower level to now being the, the, the guy in charge of the entire program?
1: I don't, I don't know if there's, for me, it had been, I'd wanted to be a head coach for a long time and, I had spent a lot of time um, just kind of putting together a binder, so to speak, of, of things I would do if I ever became a head coach. And I, I before I got the job at Mayfair, before I was lucky enough to have them hire me, they, I, I, I went on like 24 head coaching interviews and never landed a job. Um, so th- I don't know if it was that big of a the, – the shock of the whole thing was when when you walk into a room – you know, with sixty-five kids, and you utter the words "I'm your head coach," and you're kind of uh-oh.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, are they listening?
1: Yeah, yeah, they were listening. Um, which is a shocker for high school kids sometimes. But, oh yeah. Um, I just I was I was prepared. I and I I thank Coach Rome for that, and and Derek Brown especially, um, because I I learned so much from those guys about being a head coach and about doing it correctly. And, you know, always trying to surround yourself with people that know more than you do, um, people that want to learn. And so it wasn't all that green. Just I wasn't all that green because I was prepared for it.
0: Now, yeah. what have you learned? Go back to your first year at Mayfair, 2015. You know, you're raw, you're green, you're looking at these kids, and I'm your head coach. And what have you learned from then to now, and what would you give the Derek Bedell of 2015 advice-wise to change?
1: Um, I think the biggest thing that I've learned is that you can't control everything. Um, in 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 coaching football, and I think coaches in general, it doesn't matter the sport. I mean, you probably experience this in golf. You want to be able to control what your kids can do and how they perform, and you do everything you can, but you can't control every aspect of it. I think I went in thinking that as the head coach. I could pretty much um, manipulate a situation or set forth a situation and these kids would listen and follow. Um, that's not always the case. And I think I was a little naive to that when I, when I started um, that first year. So I would, I would pretty much go back and, and, and tell the Derek Bedell of that first year just to settle down and relax and take each day as a twenty four hour period, and not try and jam every single event into one day, because it makes it hard.
0: Yeah, and, and being a golf coach is easy. My philosophy is, guys, get the hell out of my way. I'm teeing off first.
1: Yeah, but at some at some point, at some point, you're 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 looking to that critical guy to make a play. Yeah, and or make a putt or whatever the case may be, and you you know you want to be able there to go over there and, and and give him some sage advice or give him you know. Something, and the truth is is it's probably not gonna help them. in fact, in some ways, it might get in the way. and I think that's one thing that I learned that that sometimes you just gotta let your kids play. and I didn't necessarily do that a ton my first year. Um, I didn't let my coaches coach, so you know that was a bit of a problem.
0: Would you say that you could would have called yourself maybe a micromanager and you just didn't want to give up that control?
1: Yeah, I I think, that, I think that's absolutely a part of it. Um, and, you know, you, I think as a, as a, as a first-year coach, and especially a lot of young coaches, you, you think that the, the decision that you make on, on a Friday night is going to affect some Friday night in another two years. And the truth of the matter is, is that it really only affects that Friday night. And if you start making those decisions affect other decisions, you're going to have a problem with your football program and um or your you know or your job or you know if you're managing a a convenience store let's say but you got to have you got to be able to 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 just deal with the consequences and deal what happens with your decisions and take them for what they are one decision at a time
0: yeah and and, then in a football game there are a hundred decisions that you're going to make but some are just so much more magnified than others and it seems people fans, parents, you know, everybody, they kind of focus on that one decision that may have gone wrong. Sure. That's
1: human nature though. You know, I mean, the truth of it is, is that, that um, no matter what the situation is, and no matter who's the head of the company or the, the, the football program or the country um, you're going to have to deal with, with, with the backlash of a decision. And, And quite frankly, it can be a good decision. And there's some parent up in the stands that doesn't like it because um, their son or in our case in, in, on our team as we have a girl on our team, you know, their daughter um, doesn't get a chance to play and you just have to deal with those decisions for what they are. It was a decision that you thought was best for the team.
0: Yeah. And you're not going to make everybody happy. I remember when I was coaching um, for Bill Riddell and he called all the parents together and said, you know, we all want to win, but you know, here's the deal. If we go all out to win, not everybody's going to play. Parents are going to be mad at me. He said, now, if I play everybody equal, we're not going to win. Parents are going to be mad at me. So we're going to go all in to win. And, you know, like it or not, somebody's going to be mad at you no matter what happens. And I guess that's just the nature of us being teachers and coaches.
1: Yeah, that, that, that's so truthful. And I think that that's, that, that's one thing that, that coaches, especially, you know, young coaches or first year head coaches whatever the case get caught up. In- you do. You try and make everybody happy, and um you know you're not going to make the 70 guys on your roster. Like we're we blessed to have about 70 75 kids on our roster every year. You're just not going to make every single one of those kids happy every Friday or every Monday. It's just the way it is. And and a lot of guys get caught up in trying to trying to please everybody, and you you get burned out in a hurry if you try and please everybody all the time. Now, at the same point in time, you have to be able to understand how to quell those issues, but. Um, I think that's another, you know, thing that I would go back and, and, and kind of say, you know, at some point you got to stop being, you know, the pleasing person and just be able to go all out and win, especially in this level of high school football.
0: Yeah. And the, and the level you guys play at is, is is pretty tough. And, and I don't care what business you're in, not everybody is going to be happy. So, you know, you kind of take, I guess you take the temperature of the team and, you know, the team wants to win, the kids want to win. And you know, I think sometimes we as parents get more upset, and we don't ask our kids about that, how they feel about. Hey, you're not playing, but your team is winning. Are you okay with that?
1: Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree with that. Um, you know, it, it's a but there's a fine line with that. At the same point in time, um, we do. I mean, they're 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 like most high school football rosters. There are there are kids that that are a huge reason part of why we've been successful that don't play on Friday night but if you teach them their role and they understand that role it's a positive experience for everybody including their parents so it's being up front I think a lot a lot of the things a lot of these problems that 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 coaches have when I could just be solved by being up front with parents um and family and the rest of it so you know I I try and be as truthful as possible I always tell the kids I'm never going to lie to you you don't lie to me I Tell the parents, the same at least I try and tell the parents the same thing,
0: right? And and you know, you're a parent, I'm a parent. Sometimes it's tough for us to swallow that pill that you know, even though my son at you know 5'11 175 is not 6'4 270, no, absolutely not be that guy.
1: No, absolutely, absolutely. And and I remember, I remember a buddy of mine who used to coach in high school football down in San Diego, he he told me first time you ever meet with the parents, tell them you're not going to meet with them and tell them that um, if you do want to talk, it's away from the football field and the rest of it. Because if you don't, then, you know, you could open yourself up to issues.
0: Yeah. It's that whole 24 hour rule where let's wait 24 hours. Don't come to me after a game while we're getting on the bus or I'm getting I'm with my family, getting ready to go home. And it was a tough game for us. Let's both wait 24 hours because it'll give us both a chance to cool off. and maybe be a little bit more reasonable.
1: Yeah. And also be, be as a parent, you have to be, I mean, I always, I kind of stayed out of the way when it came to my son's career at Bosco, but as a parent, you have to, um, if you, you have to trust that your coaches, that the coaches know what's what's best for the team. And they got to understand that the team is my first priority. Um, and, the success of the team is my first priority, whether that's in the classroom or on the field. I think that also gets lost.
0: Yeah. Okay. You mentioned college coaching. What's the biggest difference between coaching at the college level, where whether it's the JUCO level or whether it's at the Division two level, between that and high school?
1: Well, a couple of things. Um, the the players um, when you, when you get to the into the into the college arena those guys understand um, what it takes to be good all of the time. Um, so there's a, there's a little bit larger of a, of a, of a cohesive commitment level. Um, but I think one of the, one of the biggest factors from a coaching standpoint is time. Um, you have the, 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 college schedule and the day the way college classes classes work and re- the rest of it make it a lot, a lot more conducive for coaches to have meetings and, and you know staff to be on campus and you know i'm not having to push practice back to four o'clock because my offensive line coach has a meeting at 3 30 for his real job um so those kind of things all affected um but the biggest factor is that the players you have there they've you've recruited them to be there so there's a lot more they're, they're, they're just, in some cases, they're better athletes or they're more committed to that program because of the, how you got them there.
0: And then they were probably one of the better players on their high school team as well, where, you know, when we look at high school football, a lot of kids, and, and this is not, I'm not slamming kids, I'm just saying it's a reality. They just want to be a part of something. And and I think football is one of those sports where, I mean, when you put that jersey on and you run out on that field on a Friday night, and your student body is there. Your administrators are there. The faculty is there. Man, there's something to be said for that. Even if you're not one of those main guys.
1: Oh, absolutely. I, that I, that is something that I, I completely agree with, and that's why for us our program is so open to, to, to kids that want to come and experience that. Um, because high school football is completely different than junior college football and lower level college football, and it's you know from 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 that standpoint you can almost. You can almost kind of project it being like a Division One school because it, it means so much in your in your school community, and that sense of belonging for some kids is really important to their development.
0: You mentioned community, and and obviously you are a public school, and you are in the the middle of a lot of private schools. How do you keep your kids at Mayfair?
1: Uh, when, um, and really we've kind of, we're a little bit different in that, or my, my philosophy on this is a little bit different than a lot of coaches or some coaches. They, the, the younger players in the, in the middle school players and whatnot, even if they're on our campus, we're in such an environment right now where they can go to the private schools. And, um, you know, our goal is to to keep as many of those players as we possibly can. And one of those ways is by, by, making our program about the players. It's not about my success. It's not about whether or not I win games or get my name in the newspaper. It's about giving our players a better opportunity academically, athletically, giving them a chance to go and play in college, give them all the cool uniforms, all the cool helmets, Um, make it as personal an experience as you possibly can. And I think that's one thing we've been really successful with.
0: And now I'm going to ask this question, and I asked you if I was allowed to ask it before. You're a high school public school coach. Your son was one of the premier long snappers in the country, but he went to Bosco, a private school. Uh, explain that one to me.
1: Well, they did a better job recruiting the mom. <laughs> I mean, that's the truth of it. No, my, my kids, my kids grew up going to private school. So, um, you know, they, they, all, all three of my, my children are either attended or currently attend St. Joseph's elementary school here in Long Beach. My daughter goes to St. Joseph's where she's a cheerleader or song leader. And then my son went to Bosco and really it's their choice. Um, Derek had always wanted to go to Bosco. He made the decision to go to Bosco before I ever got the job at Mayfair. Um, so it really wasn't, I, I I did take, I, I, I did take some, there's some interesting stories about. The first time he snapped and whatnot, we can get it in, in high school. We can get onto that if you want to. Um, but, it, you know, it, it just com- comes down to, to, to the, the comfort level that he had. He wanted to go to school there. It's what he wanted to do. His uncle, um, Max Heilbronn, was, was an All-American water polo there, player there. And there's some family history at St. John Bosco. So, um, you know, it, it was a great experience for him. And, and Coach Negro and, and his staff um, did an unbelievable job. Um, making my kids' high school experience, you know, fantastic. So, you know, I got nothing but great things to say about those guys.
0: And you just tell Jason, hey, can you stay away from this kid but go over to that public school and take that kid? <laughs> well,
1: uh, no. Well, we try, I should say. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it, we – but in in the end right now, in, in high school football in general, in Southern California, we're at a place where, um, without saying it, there is open recruitment of players going on and that is, you know, something that, that, that needs to be, needs to be, you know, addressed, but at the same point in time, the private schools have to get their They, they, they have to have people go through their, through their school too. And so, you know, our goal is to keep every single, single eighth grader that goes to school at Mayfair because we're a seven through 12 school. Um, to keep all those eighth graders on our campus. And, and we do everything we can to to make the, the, the product on the field and make the product in the locker room as appealing to those kids as possible.
0: And, if, and, and you want to do that because you, you want to keep those kids there. And, and, and it's great that you give them that experience. Um, we're going to take a break right now while we talk about some betting and what's going on in the world of sports. Hey, I'm not a big betting guy, but maybe some of you are. While you're waiting out this coronavirus at home, you can still have some fun betting with our partner, BetOnline AG. No major sports going on, but don't worry. BetOnline still has hundreds of games, events, and sports to wager on. NASCAR is back. Madden and NBA 2K simulations. There's a 10,000 Madden bracket challenge. There's the UFC, online casino with poker and blackjack. And coming up next Sunday, BetOnline has ex-Chicago Bulls, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, Craig Hodges, and Ron Harper joining to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they are calling the final dance. There is still fun to be had, so go to BetOnline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100 to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's BetOnline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100. Bet online your wagering solution. Back here with Derek Bedell, head football coach at Mayfair High School, joining me on the podcast. Derek, what is your coaching philosophy? A lot of guys, you know, they're going to they're going to run the ball. A lot of guys are we're going to throw the ball. Defensively, a lot of guys are we're going to sit back. Some guys say we're going to come after you. What is your X's and O's philosophy, and and also what is your philosophy with? with the kids the first time you get that new group of kids every spring
1: well i think i think that the, from a football standpoint philosophically on offense i'm i'm more of a pro style guy um, in that you know we're we're going to try and be a 50-50 pass to run type of team um, i think in high school football it works really well because you're not locked stock and barrel into a certain position um, if you have a great quarterback like we did 2 years ago in Josh Calvin then we will throw the ball more. Um, if we have a great running back, like we did, you know, one season at Bellflower high school, we had Ryan Hunley. And I was an offensive coordinator there. We ran the ball all the time um, or a lot of the time. I think it, it builds, it builds the ability of, uh, of your team to, or of, of your offense to be um, fit around its players and not necessarily around a system. Defensively um, my staff and I spend a lot of time on being sound. I think that that making sure you have all your gaps covered and and making sure that you're putting your your defensive players in a position to be successful is huge. And again, it comes down to what type of players you have. I think some sometimes some years you've got players where they're great in man to man coverage and you can blitz the heck out of teams. Um, other times you're a little bit weaker in the secondary and you got to play more zone. I, it, it just kind of for us it's a built around our players.
0: And Do you find it difficult or challenging as a staff to say, "Hey, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna have to change things up this year because we don't have that stud quarterback or that stud wide receiver. You know those those you know guys that can play man to man. Is is that difficult for you guys to try and change the system?
1: No, because because it, it's built, our system's built around that. So it's not. It, it, it's it's that offensively, if you have that great quarterback. Your your play calls are going to tend to be to be more leaning towards throwing the ball as opposed to running the ball. So it's not necessarily changing the scheme of the way we play. It's more along the lines of changing the attitudes of the coaches. So we're teaching the kids every year for five years. We've pretty much taught them the exact same thing um, from the exact same formations. It just comes down to a coaches uh, our our abilities to to change the way we play with the style of our of our players as opposed to changing a whole offensive scheme
0: so you're not changing the playbook you're just saying okay hey we're going to throw the ball a lot more this year or we're going to run the ball a lot more this year it's the same everything where I think sometimes some guys try and just change everything where one year they'll be predominantly run and then the next year they go to the spread
1: yeah no that's not us I mean we've I think you can put you can put on our film over the course of the last five years, and and we're probably pretty pretty balanced in how we line up in the same formations, and nothing really nothing really changed. But we're old school, man. We play with an inline tight end a lot of the time, and right.
0: tight end and fullback. What what are those positions?
1: Yeah, we got a couple of those. In fact, our fullback this coming year is a great player. So you know, if if he's one of your best players, then put him on the field.
0: Yeah, give him the ball. Why not? It yeah. it, it can't hurt you.
1: No, it's only going to help you.
0: Um, how did playing tournament golf and baseball, which are two individual sports, uh, although baseball is a team sport, but based on you know individual okay. performances, help <laughs> you in coaching a team sport like football?
1: I think the interesting thing is is that that golf may have probably helped the most. um and it's because there's a mental aspect to that game that forces you to look at things sometimes two or three steps ahead so as a coach I, and I, I think that one of the things that makes us successful we talk about it a lot in staff meetings is look ahead so if you make this decision what are the ramifications of it you know the next step or, or whatever the case may be just like if you're going to take you know you got dog leg right par five you know you got to you got to scheme out your your uh how you're going to address that individual hole so i think from a golf standpoint it, it provided me mentally to, to to constantly think ahead and not worry about the past. Um, and I think a lot of guy, a lot of people worry about what happened last week or last year. Um, learn from that, and and that's one thing that we're doing this year is learning from the mistakes that, especially me, the mistakes that I made last year in handling our football team.
0: That's a great way to go about it because I cannot change the past. The only thing I can do is, is kind of worry about the future. And Tony,
1: Um, we, we, Tony, we say that every day to our kids. We say that to our kids every day in meetings, every day in the weight room, you know, everything we do, um, prepare for a season is an individual battle. When you're in the weight room, we're not competing against La Mirada or Norwalk in the weight room. You're competing against yourself. Right. And, and so we're constantly addressing the idea that you're, you know, the, while we do play this game as a team and it's the ultimate team sport, you have to constantly be critical of your, of yourself as an individual um, as opposed to um, constantly critical about the people surrounding you.
0: Yeah. it's, It's the whole personal accountability and personal responsibility things. And you mentioned being in the weight room and everything with the whole coronavirus thing going on. What are you guys as a staff doing to make sure your kids are getting the lifts in, getting the running in, getting the stretching in, you know, getting your scheme stuff in. Are you doing anything special? Or are you just doing what everybody else is doing?
1: Well, I mean, we we we've done we do meetings four days a week with our players, and and we hold our kids accountable with what we we put we post workouts um, every week for our kids to do. Um, those workouts, I'm I'm a little lucky in that that with my son being a Division one football player, and my brother being a Division one football coach, had some access to to workouts and stuff that where you don't need a, a weight room for the kids to get involved. Um, and then we do the Zoom meetings, and we've spent some money on some technology stuff that has really helped us this off season. And I actually, I mean, I think from a mental standpoint, um, our football team is probably ahead ahead of any place that we've ever been. Um our kids have been very diligent. I'm super proud of them because they, they show up every day and it's a tough situation but they show up every day and they've learned something and that's all I can really ask as a coach.
0: And whether we have a season or not and hopefully we do. How much time because you've obviously lost spring practice? How much time do you think your football team will need and what are you going to need to do to be ready for a, a you know week 1 game?
1: Well, we need as much time as possible. Um, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> after, after a five and six season, we need as much time as possible. But um, the truth is, is that that's above my pay grade. Um, I think that they're going to give us enough time. I think three or four weeks is probably ample time, probably a week in just a helmet to do the physical conditioning stuff and whatnot. And it's something that all high schoolers are going to have to fight is that end of it. Because that's the end. That's the piece that's getting lost in this is the actual physical conditioning of the players that's being lost with us losing spring football and probably most of summer football. Um, right? But I think, I, I think that, that, you know, three to four, you know, four weeks, three weeks on the field stuff is probably, you know, pretty good. Um, but we've got, we put things in place and, and we constantly meet as a staff on installation schedules with the idea we have a plan if they're going to give us six weeks, We have a plan if they're going to give us five weeks. We kind of figured six weeks was going to be the most amount of time they're going to give us. um, And four weeks, probably the shortest amount of time. So we put together plans based on those ideas. And that's just us as a staff kind of crunching numbers, I guess, so to speak.
0: Yeah, and every public school starts at a different time. Private schools start at a different time. So I think the interesting thing is going to be, when do we all start? When do we all go back to school and what is that whole thing going to look like?
1: Well, I think, I I think that the C, you know the CIF may have to step in, um. And I don't know anything about this, but they may need to step in and just say, okay, this is what we're going to do. You guys are going to have if you're a zero week, you can you can open up football now, um. And then if you're a week one, you can open you can open up your practices now because there is going to be, um. A difference in how schools go back so there's going to have to be a coordinated effort between the cif and its member schools to or the southern section and its member schools to um get together on that and come up with a a feasible plan
0: and then you got to get superintendents and administrators and all that and that's like you said, that's way, way above my pay grade. And it's part of a pay grade I want no part of.
1: Yeah. Same with me. Same with me, Tony. And and, and and the truth is, is that I think that I think we're learning things every day about the virus. And, you know, all of a sudden the governor's decided today that pro sports can start on June 1. And last week he would said something about not starting until 2021. Um So I think there's just differences every day with this thing. And, 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 and like I said earlier, if you're, if you're not planning ahead and if you're not taking it day by day with that plan, then you're going to get stuck.
0: Yeah. You know, being a coach for so long, you see, you know, we, we've talked about parents and kids and, you know, the whole recruiting thing. And sometimes people want to know, what can I do to get my kid recruited? What is it that I need to do? Should I send him to a camp? Should I put film together? having gone through that with your own son and your brother being up at Boise state, what advice do you give to parents and kids about that whole process to get them the maximum amount of exposure to put them in a position to play at the level that they would best fit?
1: Well, I think that one of the biggest things is to listen to the coaches Um, and, and the high school coaches, a lot of these, you know, I mean, and, and I understand that they're personal trainers and seven on seven programs and, There are a lot of guys out there that do a great job in regards to getting their kids publicized. But we spend a lot of time at Mayfair in in the recruiting aspect of things and getting college coaches to come onto our campus and see our players. And the biggest advice I can give the parents is is to stay involved with asking questions academically. Um, The athletic part of it kind of all comes together. Because as coaches, we understand where kids can play and where they fit. And I have no problem having talks with parents about that. And I've done it hundreds of times. But it's the academic piece that I think a lot of people forget about. And if you stay on your kids academically and they're a good player, coaches are, are going to come. And, you know, especially if you're at a program like ours or, you know, a St. John Bosco or a Mayfair, I mean, or, or a Long Beach Poly, where they traditionally have put guys out to Division one schools. Um, you become sort of a destination for them in spring. And that's one thing that's going to hurt us is without spring football, we lose one hunt. We lose over a hundred coaches coming onto our campus to recruit our kids. Um, but there's a lot of effort that goes into um, getting these kids to the right spots in the right places. And then at that point, it's about talking to the kids and the families about what they want to do, where, where they want to go. Um, and one of the biggest pieces of advice is that, let the kids make the decisions because if they go to a place and they do it and they don't like it, then the remedies are there, but they're oftentimes more difficult than the original process.
0: And, and I think what I do with kids is what do you want to do academically? Does that school have your academic program? Absolutely. If you want to be an architect, and, and I'll just throw that out there. You know, if that school doesn't have that as a major, then why would you go there?
1: Absolutely. And that, that's that's one thing that came down to it with my son's decision to go to the University of Colorado, is that he wants to be a lawyer. And, you know, Colorado has, has a, a, a very good program for a very good philosophy program and a very good, you know, international studies program. And, and that's what he wanted to do. And so that academic piece led to him making that decision.
0: And that's, I tell kids, it's, you know, what is your career? Think that first. What career do you want? Then what do you need to major in? And then what college has that major? And people think, oh, wow, that's so smart. Well, if I could come up with it, (laughs) you know, and I ain't the brightest bulb in the ceiling. Anybody that knows me knows that.
1: (laughs) Come on now, you're selling yourself
0: short. No, not really. I'm being realistic. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, hey, how's your team doing in the helmet challenge that they're having on Twitter? I voted for you.
1: Hey, I appreciate that. I think we, we we're uh, we're winning so far today. We won our we won our play in game, um, but we're we're we got a lead going on today. We got we're uh, facing somebody from the uh, San Joaquin section, I believe. Um, we had a lead going into it or, uh, earlier when I checked it out. It's kind of a fun thing. Our kids love it. The kids are excited about it. They think it's kind of cool, so.
0: I think it's great. I'm, I'm sick and tired of seeing how many variations of the Michigan winged helmet are out there in 42 different colors.
1: Hey, man, we had that when I got to Mayfair.
0: And you've got the little monsoon tornadoy
1: thing on there now. Oh, we've got all, we, Tony, we have got all kinds of crap on our helmet. And <laughs> we've got different, I mean, we've got different, we have we have two color helmets. So we have a Navy helmet and we have a silver helmet. And then every year I let our kids decide which one they want to put alternate logos on. And we've been, we have a partner that we work with down in Florida and, uh, and he, that the company does a great job of putting together all of our stickers and stuff. And so we don't even design that stuff. We have somebody else that, that does all that. And it's been, it's been kind of cool. And it's, it's one of those things that separates us from a lot of programs. And that's, that's really kind of one of the pieces that goes into keeping kids in the area is to to have different ideas and different things. I mean we got so many uniforms. We got a we got white, navy, gray, powder blue. I Man got you, powder
0: blue, you're looking like the old Kansas City Royals.
1: Yeah, well when we when funny story, Altron Werner played it at Mayfair, went on to you and,
0: and UCLA.
1: And then was drafted by the Tennessee Titans. And Alteron has been a great supporter of ours um, and is just a great human being. And he, uh, he made a donation to the program, and and so we kind of got the powder blue uniform just to kind of honor him. He played in the powder blue uniform at UCLA and then played in a powder blue uniform with the Tennessee Titans. So we kind of thought it would be kind of cool little uh, to, just to honor him in that way, and, and that's what we did. So that's where the powder blues came from.
0: Now, are you going to go red for Justin Turner and the beard?
1: No. Okay. <laughs> no. That's a baseball thing. The baseball team can figure that
0: out. Yeah, exactly. Hey, um. Last thing before I let you go, do you like the way that the CIF is doing the playoff format? Did you like it last year? And do you like what they're planning this year?
1: Um, did I like the format last year? No. Um, I feel that the format, the previous format, um, hurt teams like us. So we went in, we went eleven and two, um, and went to the CIF semifinals in 2017 and we lost in that semifinal to Ridgecrest Burroughs and then went on the next year, moved up a division, went to Pacifica and made the quarterfinals and we lost on a, on a, in, in overtime. And then all of a sudden we jump up to to division five and we lose all of the players that got us to those two playoff runs. So we lost Chris Adamora, who went to the University of Texas and we lost Josh Calvin who went to Utah state, but it was more than, it's more than losing those two guys. We had, I think, I mean, we came back, I think we only had this past season, we had five returning starters. Um. So our kids got penalized. We could have been, we could have made a run in, you know, a division six or, or, or division seven, but we were up in division five and, and we just, well, our kids were good and they were talented and we just didn't, it wasn't the same dynamic. Um, And so I thought that that's where that playoff system was a little bit more penalized or penalizing the system that they're going to is interesting. um, And I think it's, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's one of the things they're trying to alleviate is that, um, that kind of that piece of it.
0: Um, yeah, and I think I don't mean to cut you off. I think they're also trying to alleviate the small school in like a a Division Ten who now gets nine transfers in, yeah, and is in that lower division and goes off and you know wins that championship by just destroying everybody because they got a bunch of transfers from higher level schools.
1: But the but the other problem, and in, 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 in this one this one doesn't affect affect us, but it affects friends of mine and whatnot. But their guys, their schools, and Ocean Views, one of these that that. I think a couple years ago, they went like nine and one or eight and two and didn't make the playoffs because they were in division 13 or division 12, where they had 84 teams for 15 playoff spots or 16 playoff spots. So I don't, I don't know. I I think that was a problem that that was a bit of a problem. I mean, you, you go eight and two and you lose one league game and You don't make the playoffs because you're in a lower division and and you're a two, but they've got a bunch of league champions and a bunch of other twos and you get stuck. So I don't think it's, it wasn't as equitable. This one at least looks like it'll be more equitable.
0: Yeah, I I, I think I'm coming around to it where we look at the end of the season and you just go out and play and say, okay, well, this is where we are at the end of the year.
1: Well, it's the same idea that they have in. I mean, in the NCAA basketball tournament, you know, you have to achieve something to get into the tournament, and and I think that I mean, in our bracket a couple of years ago, and I, I can't remember whether it was the, two, the semifinal run or whatnot, there was like a team that was one in nine that made the playoffs because they they were in a a five team league the top 3 teams went and they won a coin flip
0: and that's they, crazy
1: and they're in the playoffs but ocean view who goes 9 and or 8 and 2 doesn't make the playoffs
0: yeah that's not and true. I, I like the fact that they're 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 kind of working something to try and come up with what the best alternative or the best system is for everybody
1: yeah and and one of the one of the hard things is is the idea that if you you know if you're a 5 team league you get 2 spots if you're a 6 team league you get 3 spots you know there there's there's something to be said for that but at the same point in time there are some teams that are probably pretty good that that don't necessarily you know win their league every year or whatever the case may be
0: so and they're good enough. They play a tough schedule, and they should be rewarded for uh, with a playoff berth.
1: Yeah, and they have a they have a tough job and at the CIF and trying to figure this all out. And listen, it goes back to one thing: you're not going to make everybody happy. No, no, so no. There's I don't know how many schools are in the like seven seven section five hundred and change that play football. Yeah,
0: something like that. A lot more than I can count.
1: Yeah, you're just not going to make everybody happy. And yeah, that's the way it goes.
0: Hey, last thing I want to do, I want to ask you five off-the-wall questions and just answer the most honest as possible. Great. Your SAT score?
1: 970.
0: Uh, The food your mother made that you absolutely hated the most?
1: Oh, my God. Liver and onions. One time. She made it one time. I
0: think we're all in that boat. Never again. Best score ever, and do you have a hole-in-one?
1: I do not have a hole-in-one. But everybody in my family does, and none of them play golf as much as I did.
0: Wow. Worst coaching decision ever during a game?
1: Uh, in At Citrus College as the offensive coordinator, the, I called a play um, against uh, L.A. Southwest on fourth down and one. It had been working the entire game. The guy upstairs uh, said to me, call timeout, call timeout. I chose not to call timeout. Two-yard loss, we lost the game.
0: Good job. And your dream car? A Porsche 911. Nice. Nice. Well, Derek, I, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join me here on the podcast. It is always a pleasure uh, chatting via Twitter or on on our text messages, whatever topic we're talking about. Uh <clears throat> one day I want to get out to Colorado and watch your son long snap. I, I want to see Ralphie run out on that field because it's a great place to go see a football game.
1: There is nothing like it, Tony. It is, it is I had a chance to go back there last year uh in his first he dressed his the first week as a backup snapper and to watch your for me to watch my kid run out behind that buffalo is absolutely amazing. It's cool.
0: Better better behind than in front of.
1: Yes, absolutely. Agree with that hundred percent too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope our, our paths cross during the season. I, I loved coming down, watching you guys play. I, I'd love to do it again. And if not, man, we've got to get out and play some golf.
1: No, I agree with that. We've talked around that for what going on three years now.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: I totally, I totally agree with you there. I'm going to, I, this, this coronavirus thing is, has kind of uh, got me the itch to dust off the clubs, put some new grips on them bad boys and roll up and play.
0: We will, because I know the courses up here are open. I'm sure they're open down by you. So uh, let's definitely set something up.
1: Absolutely. All
0: right, Derek, thanks so much for taking the time. And please say hi to everybody for me. I
1: will. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. All
0: right. That was Derek Bedell, head football coach at Mayfair High School. Hey, if you like the podcast, please subscribe. If you've got any suggestions for me, you know, hit me up on Twitter at Tony Moskal or via email, TonyMoskal at gmail.com. If you've got an idea for a guest, if you've got an idea for a topic, I'm open to anything. We're all stuck at home still. So hit me up, fire away with your ideas. I hope you enjoyed the podcast with Derek Bedell. Uh, Everybody take care out there and have a great rest of your day. Thank you for listening to Believe.